0: You are in the house of pain right here, 710K in U.S. at 7 a.m. Beautiful sunrise coming up on the east. If you have the chance to run to your cell window and look out that direction, you should. It looks really, really nice. Speaking of cell windows, uh, we have the ability right now. It feels like breaking news to me because there is a bill that has been reported in the Post and in the Gazette and all over uh, TV, that was pushed out yesterday by the leadership of the legislature and the governor uh, touting this great, we're tackling fentanyl, we're taking it by the horns, and we're taking it down into the ground, uh, fentanyl bill, that's going to officially drop today. I have seen in my hands right here, I have a copy of a 46-page draft of a bill. I presume it's the one. Uh, I don't know for sure. We won't know for sure till it hits. But someone who has been a bit a part of this process and has already – penned a column about this along with john Kellner, the uh, district attorney for the 18th judicial district is joining us on the line right now his name is michael allen he is the you've heard him before on this this station he is the da for the mighty fourth judicial district which i have said michael and correct me if i'm wrong starting in 2025 you will be the largest judicial district in the state of colorado by population is that true
1: yeah, that is true. Absolutely it's true.
0: Number and I understand you're printing up t-shirts. We're number one, well, we, we're number one. We've
1: already one. got them in boxes right now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> look, between the two of you and you and Kellner penned this column and I read it, it's compelling and I encourage people to go out to the Denver Gazette and look at it today. Uh between the two of you You guys represent one third of Coloradans. That's an amazingly high number. That also means that you guys deal with likely more of the fentanyl related crime, fentanyl related overdoses, deaths, all that trafficking than other people in the state of Colorado. You've seen this bill. What's wrong with it? Why doesn't it answer the question?
1: Well, to be clear, I've seen a version of the bill. We don't know yet what the final version is going to look like. I do think it's timely, though. You you just played that song, Jump Around. I think all fentanyl drug dealers <laughs> are probably jumping around in excitement today waiting Wha- for this
0: bill to come wait, out. Wait, wait. This bill has been touted as being tough on fentanyl distributors. What have you seen?
1: <clears throat> so the, the unfortunate part is that possession, it looks like, is going to remain a misdemeanor. That's a huge problem, and I think people in Colorado have been clamoring for it to be elevated to a felony. And anything less from the legislature is a failure, in my opinion. And, and I think John thinks the same. As well, I
0: do. One of the interesting things, I did not know this statistic that you guys had in your column, was that since Governor Polis signed the change in law back in 2019, that's only a couple years ago. Every year since he changed fentanyl from a felony to a misdemeanor, uh, Colorado has seen fentanyl overdose deaths double. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah,
1: every single year since then, it's doubled. Uh, and, and across the state and even here in the 4th Judicial District where, where I am, uh, this this last year, 2021, we had over 100 fentanyl overdose deaths. Oh, my goodness. That's I, just for my district.
0: I think right? on so, average they say something like two-plus Coloradans die a day from fentanyl overdose. Yeah.
1: It is the number one cause of death for American adults age 18 to 45 in the United States today. What? The number one. Eclipsing COVID, right, which we which we understand kills lots of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is killing the number one killer in, in the United States today.
0: And so More the, than gun deaths. And so the bill that has is going to launch to tackle it does nothing to further disincentivize the possession of fentanyl.
1: It does not. Uh, so four, four grams of fentanyl will remain a misdemeanor. At least as, as I understand it. Now, something could have changed overnight. No chance, buddy. You know that that's they, not going to happen. <laughs> well, you know, you, you hope in the human spirit that, that somebody's going to see the light. <laughs> By the way, four
0: grams, that's enough to kill. This is according to your column, too, and I've heard this from the, from the DEA guys. Enough to kill 2,000 human beings.
1: Yeah, it's enough to kill 2,000 humans. Right. An entire high school could be wiped out by uh, four grams or less of fentanyl.
0: And to and to put that in perspective, because I don't think folks understand, does it matter? The misdemeanor, the felony thing. If if a police officer comes across someone with four grams or less of fentanyl to kill all these thousands of people, are they arrested and held in jail until their trial? What's the mechanism of that happens out on the street?
1: They get what is essentially a ticket. They get a summons that says, hey, Mr. Doug, possessor, you need to go to court on this particular day.
0: Like It'll littering, like littering, loitering, jaywalking, speeding, yep. DUI. I mean, even DUI get arrested. My God, you wouldn't even get arrested for this.
1: That's right. You're exactly
0: right. You guys highlight three things, and there are some that bother me that you guys don't touch upon, but I imagine you had limited space to. What are the three big things that are wrong with this fentanyl bill that's going to drop today?
1: Well, you hit the first one. Fentanyl possession should yep. be a felony. That's a big one. Uh, this, the second one, and I think this one is the most aggravating, is that if a drug dealer causes, give somebody fentanyl and they overdose.
0: They go to prison forever.
1: If they cooperate, they get immunity. What? Yeah.
0: Wait a minute. Not a reduced charge, but just straight up good good luck. See you later.
1: Straight up immunity.
0: Thanks for calling Um, it in.
1: Yeah. And I, I saw some comments yesterday in the media from people that are supporting this bill that said they would only get immunity for the causing the death, not for the distribution. I've seen it the other way as well. Based on the draft that I've seen, it looks like they would get immunity for both things, both for causing the death and the distribution. Uh, that's, that's crazy town to me, George. I don't know what you think
0: about it. Now, listen, I, my, if I'm going to take the position of the folks that push for this and the people that just hate the idea that anybody ever gets held accountable for their evil deeds, um, they would say, look, we should be prioritizing saving lives. And sure. if you put someone in a position to provide uh, pills – whether they know or don't know fentanyl's in it, and somebody starts to have a reaction, and they think, oh, my God, if I notify authorities, I could be on the hook for killing them. I just won't tell them. And so they're like, well, we want to put them in a position to say it's okay. It's okay to do that because we're not going to hold you accountable. I just think that is super naive about how this all works and how it could really translate into a drug dealer who finds out that their pills they've peddled have killed one or more people. My God, we just saw the what was it, five people die in Adams County. If the person yeah. that sold them those pills finds out and quickly calls the police and goes, hey, something bad happened, I'll hang around till you get done, answers a few questions, it sounds like they get an Uber ride home.
1: Yeah, essentially that's exactly right. And you know the to to be fair, I think the the genesis for the idea is, you know, if two friends get a hold of fentanyl, one gives the friend fentanyl and then the friend Overdoses because they get the bad pill. Uh, they're trying to protect that person, but in re and and here's herein lies the problem, right? They're not talking to the people that are on the front lines. What we see in reality is is that dealers are giving less than four grams of fentanyl, and then people are taking it like that group up in, in Commerce City, right? Yeah, yeah. The dealer doesn't stay around. Uh, they're giving enough to kill people. They're gone. The group then takes it and then. Like in Commerce City, everybody dies basically from taking this stuff.
0: We're talking with Michael Allen, district attorney for the 4th Judicial District, has a column in the Gazette with John Kellner. You should check it out today. One of the things you and I talked about was this is another move by the legislature to say, I don't trust prosecutors and we don't trust prosecutors so much. We want to mandate this ameliorated nothing of an outcome because we don't trust prosecutors to do the right thing. It's offensive to me as someone who's been in the position you're in, Michael, and you're going to be in for probably another decade. And that is the idea that if a case came across your desk where it was two dudes who were just taking pills and one of them died as an overdose, that somehow you're going to go for DF1 or murder charges against the unsuspecting co-user. That just doesn't exist. Where is that? I don't know of that case in the state of Colorado, but that's the premise that leads them to say, well, we're just going to take away discretion from the DAs.
1: Yeah. Again, you're hitting it right on the head. There's not been a single case where somebody has been lit up with high-level murder charges in a distribution overdose death case because, one, the elements just don't fit our current murder statutes. There could be some situations where maybe you could charge a manslaughter depending on what the dealer knew or didn't know. Uh, but generally speaking, it's very hard to, to you know, slam the square peg of fentanyl distribution into the round hole of a murder charge. Uh, and so really what we were hoping to get is just a sentencing enhancer for those dealers that are distributing and causing death that would then allow us, because they knew they were distributing drugs, to then put them in prison. The other part of this deal that makes it really frustrating is that the dealer that causes death if it's under four grams, right? So we just talked about the, the Commerce City case. That was an under four grams situation. Take away the immunity part of it. That person would be probation eligible. Oh, That's another my goodness. problem with this bill.
0: Kill a person with drugs, walk out of the courtroom. I mean, what? what is... Buddy, and the other thing that they've done, and you guys talk about this in the column there at the Gazette, is that um, they somehow tie the penalties to causing someone's death with fentanyl to the weight of the fentanyl that the drug dealer had like isn't the evil we're trying to stop the fact that they're killing people with fentanyl not the amount that they're holding in their pocket when they kill the person with fentanyl
1: yeah you know from my way of thinking george I, i value the life more than i value the weight of the drug right and so if one person dies that's enough for me to say that the killer ought to go to prison and it shouldn't be really any questions asked as long as they're proven guilty in the court of law right Uh, But they flipped that narrative and said you know, it should be based on weight, so the more weight you sell, uh, that's going to increase the penalty and make it a mandatory sentence, whereas I say one person dies, that should be a mandatory prison sentence.
0: Amen to that. We're we're talking with El Paso District Attorney Michael Allen. Let me ask you a couple other things uh, about this because it's a, a little bit concerning to me. Why is it just fentanyl? I mean, we have almost decriminalized yeah. all other drugs. It's not like I get fentanyl is the epidemic level thing that surge. I totally get that. But yeah. what about meth? What about you know heroin? I mean, it's not like the only drug people are peddling or dying from is fentanyl. If this is good, according to the legislature, to reduce down the instances of death and distribution of this killer drug, why not apply it to the others?
1: yeah and you know you you touched on this earlier. we were limited in in our word space on as to how big this column could be, and so we didn't touch on that, but that's a concern of ours too the The idea that this is only limited to fentanyl that's a very short sighted approach to this kind of situation. You know when you were in office, that's when we started seeing fentanyl hitting the coast, right, and we knew at that time that it was going to slowly oh, yeah. trickle into the center of the nation and now here we are right. And I know that people from your office, maybe you, I think, uh, testified against that 2019 bill. I know a lot of cops did, a lot of sheriffs, chiefs of police, I testified against it, uh, that, that dropped possession down to a misdemeanor. And we were ringing the warning bells, right? Saying this stuff is coming, this is a bad idea. Well, by limiting this just to fentanyl, it's completely short sighted because the next killer drug is already hitting the coast. So just earlier this month in Florida, the attorney general there, Put out a warning saying that there's a new drug that's coming in. It's another synthetic opioid. They call it ISO for short. It's twenty to one hundred times stronger than fentanyl.
0: What? Which is already a jillion times stronger than anything else.
1: Right, right. So, so by by being so limited in our in our scope with this particular drug, we're setting ourselves up for the next epidemic that's going to be hitting our state. Probably in the next two to three years, I would guess, somewhere in that time frame.
0: W- would this law cover an analog like that one that you've just described? This is the first time I hear of it. Fascinating. Um, would, th- would it cover that kind of an analog? Or are we going to have to come back to the drawing board thousands of deaths later?
1: I don't know the chemistry makeup of the new uh, drug, but it sounds like it's a completely different type of synthetic opioid, not a fentanyl-based opioid. So it probably would require uh, completely new legislative action.
0: Because we can't just hold drug dealers accountable for being drug dealers. Let me ask you this. If somebody is caught uh, distributing fentanyl and it's uh, four grams, maybe it's not up to 50 or whatever it is, and they're charged with a DF1, DF2, whatever, in your experience, what kind of bonds are you seeing on DF2s, DF3s?
1: Yeah, um, Hard, hard to say. I think it depends on uh, the judge in some respects. You know, we have one case that's pending right now that uh, resulted in a death, as a matter of fact. So that changes the dynamic just a little bit. That person remains in our custody down here in the El Paso County Jail. That's
0: great. Well, yeah. you bring up a good point, though, and that's how many times when we have an overdose death from fentanyl are we able to figure out who it was that gave them the fentanyl that killed them? How often does that happen?
1: That's hard, right? You're hitting on it exactly. Um, Generally speaking, you're going to have to get cell phone evidence or some other type of maybe uh, social media evidence to track down who the person was communicating with. uh, Then use other evidentiary and and investigative means to try to find out who that phone belongs to and then track that person down and interview them. And maybe you can get a statement out of them. Maybe you can't. Uh, Maybe you get lucky, though, and you catch them with other pills and you get them that way, right? But it can be really difficult. Uh, it, it, it's really, and, and it should be. I mean, think about it. The Constitution protects us in of a lot course. of ways, right? Of course. And, and so that's a good thing. But um, it can be very difficult to track down the ultimate dealer. And, and we're, you know, it's not like, let, let's talk about, uh, let's do a Mythbuster for just a minute. In your experience as a prosecutor, uh, addicts and users on a first time offense, how many of those did you send to prison on that first time offense?
0: Oh, I'm just guessing zero? Ever.
1: Zero. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's this myth out there that that prosecutors across the state and nation are filling our prisons with drug addicts and drug users on their first time offense and for, for their fallacy. addiction
0: and their drug use, which is utter right. nonsense.
1: It's a complete fallacy. Uh, if somebody that's a user or an addict ends up in prison, it's because they've continued to reoffend. They've either uh, piled up a bunch of felony offenses, uh, one after the other, or they've committed some new high level offense that causes them to be sent to prison the the general street level user slash addict is not being sent to prison by any prosecutor uh, in the state of Colorado. well
0: th- this what is we you yeah, go ahead go I'm sorry
1: yeah yeah, what we want to do is is get those folks into treatment. the bill this bill does and I'll give it credit here uh, it does uh, provide that that these folks have to get put into a treatment program uh, if they're caught, right? So that's a good thing, and it provides lots of treatment options and requirements to uh, you know, municipalities and, and counties and whatnot. So those are all good things. A paltry amount of money, up- by the way,
0: not, not nearly enough money.
1: Yeah, not nearly enough money. But what we really want to do is try to work upstream from that user, right? So we want to find the dealer that gave them, and that's going to be the street-level dealer. And then we want to get to that person and then work upstream from them and go to the next mid level dealer and then go up to the to the high level dealer that 's got the pounds and pounds of this stuff and that happens, but those investigations sometimes can take a you know over a year, two years three years sometimes
0: and we there 's also some unfunded mandate stuff in here, and not a huge ticket item but it 's worth noting that the legislature puts the onus on law enforcement and you. To collect a whole bunch of information about decisions related to fentanyl prosecution, and then having to generate a report to give to the legislature. Of course, they don't provide any money for that. Um, I, without, yeah, I know you're not speaking on behalf of CDAC, but you know between the chiefs of police, CSOC, CDAC, where does law enforcement come down on this bill? And I'm presuming, I'm hoping that you guys were part of the process and at least having conversations about this bill before it dropped.
1: Yeah, my understanding is that uh, the sheriffs and the chiefs of police uh, for Colorado are in a, basically uh, not supporting, uh, hoping for amendments. And that's kind of where John and I are on this thing as well, that we're really hoping that we can bring some attention to the deficiencies that we highlight in that article that you talk about and then get some amendments done to it because it does need to be amended. It's it's a step. It's a step in the right direction. I'll give it that. But it falls woefully short on the things that we actually need it to do.
0: Are are you hearing in the conversations that you're having with the folks who are part of this sausage-making process, are you hearing that there is just – and I feel this from even when I was a DA – the guys in charge of the Gold Dome and state government are so reluctant to want to create any additional penalty for any malfeasance or criminal conduct that this is an attempt to say, hey, we're doing something. We've created something here, but we're not actually going to be tough on anybody.
1: Yeah, you do get that impression, right? And and I think even when you were uh, still in office, you know who the the real powers that be were in, in, in this.
0: ACLU, Public stuff. Defender's it's, Office.
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's the Defense Bar, Public Defenders, and the ACLU. And, and I think that's misguided, right? Those people serve a valuable function in our community and in our society, right? Uh, but they're not the ones tasked with ensuring public safety. That falls to the chiefs of police, the sheriffs, and the DAs. And we're just not having uh, the ability to engage on these conversations in a meaningful way. Uh, and they're not really listening to what we have to say. Well, and, 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 and,
0: and let's be clear. They are ethically obligated to not give a crap about public safety or anyone else. They're ethically obligated to advance to the exclusion of just about everything else, the best interests of their client. So yes, they're, yeah. they're players that are myopically focused on the offender, period.
1: That's exactly. They're individual offender, right? That's right. One offender to the next. The individual offender, not even the group of offenders as a whole.
0: That's right. And and you are not the. And this is another common talk about mythbusters. The prosecution is not the mirror image of the defense. Your myopic focus isn't I just want to convict everybody and lock them up for as long as possible. Even if the defense's goal is to get their client the minimum amount of accountability possible under the law, your job is to do justice and, frankly, to focus on public safety. This bill does not seem to give you the tools. You have asked for a hand cannon to deal with this, and they've given you a squirt gun.
1: A score gun that's plugged up, I think.
0: That's <laughs> it. <laughs> it's got problems with the tubing. Oh, my goodness. Well, listen, are you going to come out to the legislature and testify on this thing if your schedule permits? Oh,
1: absolutely. Yep. I'll, I'll move things around so I can get up there.
0: Yeah, I presume Kellner will, too. And And listen, just for folks that don't know, everybody's heard John is a Marine. He's really progressed quite far given that limitation. But you are also a veteran. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah, so I'm a Navy veteran, and and so John is a higher form of marine life. Let's put it that way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Listen, veterans as prosecutors, speaking from my own personal experience, usually smarter, better looking. It's not always the rule. It's just it t- tends to be in Colorado that tends to be what they do. Michael Allen, district attorney from the 4th Judicial District. Man, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. Anytime you want to update us on what's going on with this, we'd love to have you on.
1: Great. Thanks, George. I appreciate it.
0: Keep doing great things. Uh, now, listen, there are other parts of this bill I didn't ask Michael about because they're really outside of the criminal justice part for the moment, but I want to talk to you about them when we come back. This thing, there's going to be a press conference or something today, and they're going to tout that they figured out a way to solve this problem, but they haven't. But there are some things here that I think Peter, Stefan, Mark Crowley would find resonate with the idea of a safe injection site. There are some parts of this bill that go out of their way to try to protect the illegal drug user from death, from their own decisions. And while I support the idea of protecting life, is this the best way to do it? Remember, the safe injection site model says we will have even trained staff there in case you slip into an overdose. We will provide you with clean needles. We'll provide you with a sanitary place for you to puke up your guts or whatever. And we'll protect your life while you're going to do what we know you're going to do independent of the law. This is moving Colorado into a place where it's a safe fentanyl ingestion site. The entire state of Colorado is. Uh, I want to talk with you about that, but I want to get your input on this as well. What did you hear? And by the way, not everybody agrees. Not everybody thinks that, hey, we ought to go out there and increase the penalties for um, for drug possessors, even if that drug is capable of killing hundreds, if not thousands of people on single doses in a pill or in a pouch of powder. Uh, but that's legit. And so I want to hear from you at 303-696-1971. Do you think this bill, based on the description you've heard, do you think there needs to be more teeth in this bill? Do you think there needs to be? My God, why isn't there mandatory prison for someone who gives drugs to another person with fentanyl and it kills them? One, two, ten people. Think about the way this thing is drafted right now. The way it's drafted right now, you go up to Adams County and you possess less than four grams. That's a misdemeanor. You give those four grams to people and kill them. Kill them as long as you pick up the phone and call the authorities and go, hey, I think the drugs I just gave these people killed them. You are immune from prosecution for their death. Is that the right model for this? That doesn't feel like the Step Denver model, but is that the right model for how we deal with fentanyl? 303-696-1971. We're going to cut away for a break, and when we come back, it's going to be you and me right here on the Peter Boyle Show. George Brockler filling in 710 KNUS. George Brockler filling in for Peter Boyles here at 710 KNUIS. I'll be with you till 9 and then I'll be with you again until 10. And I'll be with you tomorrow also, 6 to 10. We're talking right now, we just got done talking with D.A. Michael Allen uh, from the 4th Judicial District, that's El Paso and Teller Counties, about a bill that is dropping today. You're going to see a ton of coverage on it. You've already heard some of the press stuff from the the big PR push by the people who advocate for this bill. And it's supposed to tackle the fentanyl epidemic that is taking place in the state of Colorado. It's not just Colorado, by the way. It's taking place all over the country. But Colorado really, really is at the top of the list here. Uh, Let me give you an example. It says here that, and this is in the column from Michael Allen and John Kellner, which is in the Denver Gazette. I commend you to look at it tonight, probably in the Colorado Springs Gazette, too. Take a look at that. But in 2019, you'll recall that the legislature, and I'll concede it was a bipartisan legislature that made this huge mistake over the objection of district attorneys who said, please don't make possession of fentanyl a killer drug, a misdemeanor. But, you know, they're so smart under the gold dome. I don't know if you know this. If you're in the legislature, you're just imbued with certain intellectual capabilities that us listeners and and talkers on the right, we just don't. they're, They're geniuses. They're just geniuses. And so they go ahead and say, screw you, we're going to reduce it to a misdemeanor. Governor signs it in 2019. And in the two years following that decision, Colorado has seen our fentanyl overdose deaths double each year. Not just over that two years. Each year we've seen our fentanyl deaths double. Enter, And by the way, you heard Michael Allen say, Center for Disease Control, the CDC folks, say that it is now the leading cause of death among adults aged 18 to 45 OMG. And so this bill comes in that does nothing to make possession of fentanyl a felony again. Instead, in trying to look tough on crime, it says, hey, DAs and police, if you can find the person that gave the fentanyl that killed a person, Well, then, they have the possibility of being charged with a drug felony, not a real big felony, a drug felony, class two, class one, depending upon the weight that they had, which is a silly way to try to reduce down the instances of people giving drugs that kill people. But more than that, they don't change this underlying possession. So most of your addicts, as you can imagine, don't possess 50 grams or more fentanyl. They possess four grams or less of fentanyl. Okay, let's just presume that that's the addict thing because they refuse to make it a felony. It will not be an arrestable charge. Police will not arrest these folks. They will scratch them the equivalent of a summons, a ticket, basically, that says, please come to court. Now, here's the kicker. They go out of their way in this 46 page bill to say, well, we're going to mandate we're going to mandate drug treatment programs for the people that are in jail. And as a condition of bond, they can be told they have to do the." It doesn't apply to the misdemeanors because those people aren't going to jail. They're not going to be forced to post a bond. So all of that nonsensical we're forcing them into rehab applies to wait for it. Just. The drug dealers, the drug dealers who are arrested and sent to jail will be the ones that are forced into the drug rehab and drug treatment programs. What are you kidding me? And here's the kicker. You heard Michael Allen talk about this, too. If you are a drug dealer of fentanyl and you kill people, one to a trillion people, you could kill everyone on the planet Earth except the one cop who would arrest you and the judge who might sentence you. And as long as you called authorities and said, hey, I think I did a bad thing here. I think this pill I may have given them may have killed a whole bunch of people. I'll stick around and answer your questions. You are immune from prosecution for causing those deaths. What are you talking about? That's insane. We are now for the first time ever creating a vehicle where drug dealers who peddle poison that is not only capable but does kill almost everybody that gets to it, at least overdoses them, kills a ton of them. We're saying you get to be immune from prosecution, but there are other parts of this bill that are really troubling because we have now said we're going to dump a whole bunch of money into buying in bulk two different things. One, the Knox that you use to give the people who have overdosed. I understand. And I appreciate the idea that we should be trying to save lives. But what we're doing here is to say, Rather than focus on preventing new addicts and new overdose victims, we're going to focus the monies that we spend in this bill on just trying to sustain to sustain the lives of those who are already addicted, already using, already overdosing. And by the way, there's no guarantee that the people that you stub that, shove that stuff up their nose and save their lives, that they ever have to go to treatment. There's no requirement that they end up having to see law enforcement at all. You could end up just be, this is just a life-sustaining measure for people who are addicts on fentanyl. Is that the right answer for this? Is that the problem? Is the problem with this, I don't care enough? Maybe we don't care enough because we should only be focused on trying to save the lives of people who continue to pump poison into their bodies? Here's the other one, and this is the one that really turns the state of Colorado, or at least gives us one step closer towards being the equivalent of a safe injection site for fentanyl. The, the governor touts the fact that there's money going to be spent on producing really a, an opportunity to buy in bulk these testing strips for fentanyl. And the governor says to the media, it's so that law enforcement can more quickly work on trying to find the per-. utter garbage. That is not the purpose of these strips. And you know it. The purpose of these strips is to give them out to drug users so that they can test the pills they're about to ingest and avoid taking the ones with fentanyl in them. It's an enabler strip is what it is for people who want to take drugs. This has nothing to do with enhancing law enforcement's ability to track down someone who dealt drugs. Those strips aren't going to tell you it's specifically this kind of fentanyl that can be traced back to the that is not the purpose of it. Those strips are not designed for law enforcement. They're designed for the lawbreaker addict who's going to put the pills in their body anyway. And what we're hoping to do is to say before you pop those pills, use this strip to see to see if it's something that might kill you. And then maybe you make the decision not to use it. That's the purpose of this. And while you're an addict, it does nothing to stop you from being an addict, by the way. But again, isn't that exactly what a safe injection site is? We create a safe place for you to come bring your heroin. We'll give you a safe needle, maybe even a clean spoon with a nice new lighter. I don't know. And we're going to have some medical staff standing by to make sure that you don't die because you're engaged in this illegal, self-destructive behavior. So, I mean, listen, there's no one one silver bullet to fix this. I get it. And, and I appreciate the idea that what we're trying to do is to save lives. But the only way to get an addict into treatment is one they got to self-select or we got to force them into it and we have seen that the self-selection process not super effective uh, when you when you make it easier for them to obtain and use drugs and keep them safe while doing it But instead of creating the disincentive for use by creating penalties that matter, instead of making possession of fentanyl a felony so that we can get these addicts, if that's what they are, into the jail system where we can say you must go through rehabilitation, you must go through treatment or we're not going to let you out of jail. Instead of doing that, we say, don't worry, we're not going to arrest you. We're just going to scratch you a ticket and send you back out. Keep in mind, by the way, the Senate bill last year that uh, Senator Pete Lee offered would have said those same people can fail to appear up to three times before a judge has to impose any sort of monetary bond on them to force them back to court. We are creating an environment that does nothing to discourage drug addiction. All it does is enable drug addicts. Is that the model that works for Colorado? Why can't we do something that has worked in the – and we know it doesn't work here because since we have reduced it to a misdemeanor, we've seen the number of overdose deaths of fentanyl double each year. What are you going to do about this? And again, we can sit here and complain about it. We can have people talk about it. Maybe you know somebody that was on fentanyl. Maybe you're out there thinking to yourself, George, you are a heartless bastard because we should be focused on saving the lives of these addicts and crossing our fingers and hoping that they find God and find the ability to get through rehab. I don't know. 303 696 197 We're going to continue this conversation as much as we can up until 8 o'clock. And then we're going to be joined by Ted Trimpa, Democrat strategist interested in to see how he interprets what's going on on the other side of the political fence. I may ask him, too, about the Leah Thomas thing. I'm interested in his position on that as well. But until that time, you're listening to George Brockler. <laughs> Filling in for the Peter Boyles. 710 Kenius. Little Van Halen, George, in for Pete. No day can be complete when the market is open without talking to the experts over at Alpine Planning. We've got Amy Duncan on the line right now. Amy, how are you, and how are the markets?
2: Morning, George. Hey. Well, I'm just fine, and, you know, the markets are starting off all right this morning as well. I got some green on the board after quite a slide. Quite the sell off yesterday. Uh, I think all three major indices down about one point two to one point three percent. But right now, starting the day, the Dow's up about ninety five, S and P positive by sixteen, Nasdaq also showing slight gains. And uh, one one note here, I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners aren't aware of this, but the Russian stock market has basically been closed for a month ever since <laughs> the invasion. Yep. Reopening today, if you will. Uh, but interestingly enough, only thirty three stocks allowed to trade. So um 33 uh, i want to bring up i almost what's that
0: 33 that's it
2: yeah yeah that's uh that's the data so you know they're talking about the the market reopening after the month-long closure and breaking a lot of rules and the prop up from their central bank and kind of an interesting little story we might do a little follow-up on that for you tomorrow probably all vodka and borscht
0: but yeah go ahead sorry amy
2: (laughs) yes well said well said, uh, and I bet people are buying a lot of that with what's going <laughs> right. on. But it, <clears throat> anyway, just a, a quick note on a, a real-life phone call in our office the other day. Uh, an individual who is managing the assets for his aging mom uh, with dementia, this is not an uncommon thing, but dealing with you know multiple balls in the air, required minimum distributions, uh, generating a substantial monthly income, some old annuities that she'd purchased years ago, asset transfers, and then on top of it all, Uh, charitable contributions to reduce her own tax bill. And so my point here is every day, Brian and Gabe and I talk about, you know, market volatility and stocks and bonds and the Dow and the S&P. And it's really so much bigger than that. Uh, I think it's, it's, you know, volatility happens daily, but investing and wealth management is a long-term game. And uh, if you need some guidance, give us a call. Maybe a set of professional eyes and ears would help you out.
0: Well, and and – Amy, just as someone who's every day a little bit closer to retirement here, the idea of figuring out a way to manage what you have to stretch it out over that period of time where you're no longer on the radio or or doing a job that's a big <laughs> big deal and I love that you guys talk about those things
2: well, thank you George and it is a big deal uh you know it's kind of there's there's the glitzy side of it and what happens on the day to day and then there's the you know everything being customized and Amen. needing to manage through ups and downs to generate that end goal. So you see the big picture, sir. We got
0: it. I think I do. Alpine Planning Group is a comprehensive financial planning firm committed to improving your long-term financial success. Investing is a matter of trust, and they are prepared to earn yours. Call them at 303 918 today. Amy, thanks. Talk to you soon. Thanks, George. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc. Member FINRA SIPC and registered investment advisor. Alpine Planning Group and Woodbury Financial Services, Inc. are not affiliated entities. 14 West Dry Creek Circle, Littleton, Colorado, 80120. Big thanks to Amy from Alpine Planning. Um, Man, with the market as crazy as it is, it's an important time to take a look at what they do. Um, When we come back, we're going to get Ted T to the RIMPA. That's Ted Trimpa. We're going to get really super smart. I can't wait to hear what he says is going on on the other side of the wall over there. Until that time, you're listening to George Brockler. I'm filling in for the great, the godfather, the Peter Boyles, 710 KNUS.